Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. Hope you had an awesome week. Uh, one of the things that, just like your family, our family is really looking forward to getting back to uh, is our playgrounds. Uh, right around the corner from where we live, in fact, some of you have been to Greenwood Park. Uh, we've done some of our church events there, but it's right around the corner from our house. And specifically, my daughter Kate, our youngest, she enjoys going to the park and being involved uh, there at the park. And they've got a huge field that kids can run around. There's a lot of things on the playground. But one of the things that she really likes to do, and maybe your kids like to do this as well, is she likes to use the megaphones that are on the playground. And if you've ever been to Greenwood Park or some of the other parks around town, what these are, these are megaphones where kids can go talk into them and on the other side of the playground or maybe 15, 20 yards away is another megaphone where somebody else can be there and hear what the other person is saying. And so it's really fun for kids to speak into it and then have somebody hear them and talk back to them. But because it's a playground megaphone, what happens is sometimes the message and the things that they're saying don't always come through clearly. And obviously on a playground and with little kids, that's really not that big of a deal and it's kind of fun. But when that happens in real life, it's actually not a real fun thing. When somebody takes something that you've said and they maybe change it or maybe they take something that you've said and they pull it out of context or they take something you've said and they change the meaning of what you really meant, it's not really something that's funny and it actually can be very destructive and hurtful. And one of the people in history that that probably has happened to most was Jesus. Jesus was, and he has been for really 2,000 years since he walked this earth, many of his words have been taken out of context. People have taken things that he said, and they have changed them to kind of make them fit what kind of their life needed it to fit. And so Jesus, like other people, but probably more than anybody, has been taken out of context, and his words have been used for things that he didn't want his words used for. And what we've done over the past couple weeks, we started a series, and our series is basically focused on things that Jesus never said. And if you were with us last week, if not, you can go back and listen to the podcast or watch the live video. But if you were with us last week, we looked at one of the things that Jesus never said, and it was simply this, you don't have to forgive them. And instead of Jesus saying, you don't have to forgive them, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 at what Jesus really said. And what he really said was, hey, you need to forgive as you have been forgiven. Well, this week we're going to look at another statement that Jesus never said. And we're going to look at what he did say to kind of combat what some people have said that he has said. And so the thing that Jesus never said that we're going to look at this week is this. Go do what makes you happy. 
This may seem like a surprise to you based on how you were kind of brought up. Probably every single one of us, even if you weren't brought up in a household where faith was a big deal, every single one of us was taught a view of God. Maybe your view of God growing up was you were taught a, a, a God that was kind of an angry God and he was looking for you and if you were to mess up, he was going to get you. Maybe you were taught a view of God and it was kind of a distant God and it was like, hey, something's way out there and, and, and he has something to do with our universe, but he's very distant. Maybe you were taught a view of God of, that, that God's a loving God and that he wants a personal relationship with you. Or maybe... You were taught a view of God that's kind of the, the cosmic vending machine God. Where if, if you say the right things and you put the right things in, then basically God's going to give you exactly what you want. Kind of the view of God that would say, hey God, I'm going to live my life my way and your role is to kind of put wind in my sail as I follow my heart. And that may be the view of God that you were taught. And if it was, I'm sorry, because, man, that actually can be a very destructive, inaccurate view of who God really is. In fact, some of you may have walked away from the church for a season or two because that was your view of God. And, and you put in what you were taught to put in. And you said what you were taught to say. And you did what you were taught to do, and you didn't do what you were taught not to do, and at the end of the day, your dreams didn't come true like they were supposed to. And so maybe you walked away from the church because you almost felt like God cheated you. Like, God, I did all the things I was supposed to do. I put in all the things I was supposed to put in. I didn't do all the things I was supposed to not do, and all my dreams didn't come true, and, and you didn't do what makes me happy. And I'm sorry if someone taught you that, because Jesus never said, go and do what makes you happy. In fact, he said pretty much uh, opposite or very different from that. And today I want to look at a, a passage of scripture in John chapter 8. And, and if you have your Bible or a phone... You, you may want to look at John chapter 8. We'll put some of these verses up on the screen. But John chapter 8 is a passage of scripture where, where when we dive into this passage, we find Jesus in the temple and he's teaching. And this wasn't something that was abnormal. This is something he did on a regular basis. And, and so he's teaching in the temple. And while he's teaching in the temple, the religious leaders, kind of his opponents and people that didn't like him, were always looking for a way to discredit him. And so what they did is he was teaching in the temple. All of a sudden they decide, you know what? We've got something that we're going to throw at Jesus. We've got some questions we're going to throw at him. We've got a situation that we think this is going to do the trick. We've got him nailed. He'll never be able to answer these questions. And this is what it's going to be that's going to discredit him. And so look with me at John chapter 8. As we see Jesus teaching, it says this in John 8, 2. It says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus, this is what he did. And he was unlike any other teachers of his day. And so, man, he had crowds of people that wanted to hear him teach. And obviously the religious leaders weren't big fans of that. They were kind of jealous. And so this bothered them. So verse 3 says this, The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. 
And, and here's what it says. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus is teaching in the, in, in the temple, and while he's teaching, and I mean, this must have been awkward. It was obviously rude for them to do this. In the middle of his teaching, they, they bring this woman, and they say, hey, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And then they look at Jesus, and this is where they think, man, we've got him. He'll never be able to answer this. So what are we supposed to do with him, Jesus? Because Moses tells us that we're supposed to stone her. So what do you say, Jesus? And, and here's what they knew. If Jesus condemned this lady, he would lose favor with the crowd. But if he didn't condemn this lady, he would be disagreeing with Moses. And Moses was one of the heroes of the Jewish people. And so they're, they're watching Jesus. They throw this question at him and they're like, we've got him. He'll never be able to answer this. We've got him. And here's what Jesus does. It says this. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Like, like what are you doing, Jesus? They, they've just thrown these questions at you, and now Jesus gets down on the ground, and he starts playing in the sand. Like, what are you writing in the sand, Jesus? And, and some people say, some commentators say that Jesus was writing in the sand some of the sins of the people that were accusing the lady. We don't know for sure, but we know Jesus is, he's writing in the sand. And, and this is what happens. Verse 7, it says, and they continued to ask him. So he's writing in the sand and they're like, hey, Jesus, you haven't answered our question. And so he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Basically, hey, anybody in the crowd who's never sinned, hey, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. And then it says this, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And so while Jesus is writing in the sand, all of a sudden, whether it's conviction, whether these religious leaders are just frustrated because they didn't get Jesus the way they thought they were going to get him, we don't know. But here's what we do know. They just start walking away. One by one, beginning with the oldest. And then it says this, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So what was he going to say? It was just now Jesus, the woman, and the people that he had been teaching. And so it says this, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where'd they all go? She said, No one, Lord. And here's what Jesus said. Go and do what makes you happy, because that has been working great for you. No, that's not what he said. Here's what Jesus did say. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. See, what, what, what is Jesus trying to say to this lady? Like, what gives Jesus the right to tell this lady that she can't follow her heart? What gives Jesus the right to tell this lady that she can't go do what she wants to do or follow the path she wants to? Jesus, as he stands up and he looks around and all the people that have condemned this lady are gone, 
He says this, he says, ma'am, I want you to go and I want you to be free from your life of sin. I want you to go and leave that sin and sin no more. See, Jesus loved this woman so much that her personal happiness was not his goal. In fact, he loved her too much to make her personal happiness his goal. My family and I, we, a few months ago, and I've, I've told some of you about this, I even used him as an illustration uh, before, we got a puppy. And we got this puppy, he's a boxador, he's, kinda, he's half boxer and he's half lab, his name's Winston Jamal. And uh, Winston Jamal, he's a fun dog, man, he loves to have a great time. If you come over to our house, man, he's going to meet you at the door and he's going to be excited to see you. But one of the things that Winston doesn't understand yet is he doesn't understand that when he and a car go up against each other, he's going to lose every time. So when, when somebody comes over, Winston will go to the door and if we're not careful, he'll walk right out the door and our front door is just about 20 yards from the road. If, if we did what made Winston happy, man, we'd let him run out into the road. But we know that, hey, man, you and a car, it's not going to go well for you. And so, man, we're going to keep you inside. If we did everything that would make him happy, he wouldn't have a very long life. If you're a parent, you can relate with this as well. Because from the time your child was a baby till the time they leave your house... If you did everything for them that would make them happy in the moment, you would destroy their life. And we all understand that. And so Jesus, as he's talking to this lady, instead of saying, Hey, ma'am, I want you to go and, and be happy. Do, do what you want. Follow your heart. He says, I want you to go and sin no more. Go leave your life of enslavement. See, Jesus loved this woman just the same way that he loves you and I. And it wouldn't be very long after he interacted with this woman that he would go to a cross and he would give his life. He would be nailed to a cross. He would bleed on that cross to pay for her sin, to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin so that she wouldn't have to live a life enslaved by sin. But it's in this moment that she's looking at Jesus and Jesus says, Ma'am, I don't condemn you. I want you to go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more that this woman had a choice to make. Would she decide to continue to kind of follow her heart and live life the way that she wanted to live her life? Because that was one of the choices. Or... Would she trust that Jesus' path was better? And would she follow that? She had a, a moment where she needed to decide, will I now trust what Jesus is saying and go and leave my life of sin? Or will I continue to follow my heart? Will I continue to do what makes me momentarily happy? Will I continue to walk my way? 2,000 years later, you and I are faced with a similar question. And before we answer that question, we have to consider a really important principle. And, and here's the principle. The person you trust will determine the path you follow. Let me say that again. The person you trust will determine the path you follow. See, we have to make a decision. Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? 
Do I trust God or do I trust myself? Do I trust God's path or do I trust my path? Which path do I trust? Which person do I trust? Because the person you trust will determine the path you follow. And here's what the scripture says. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Matthew 7, 11 says this, it says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, God loves you and he loves me. God is good. He loves you too much to make your momentary happiness his goal. Let me say that again. He loves you too much than to make your momentary happiness his goal. See, God created you and me on purpose and for a purpose. And his desire for your life and my life, his path for your life and my life, is what is good for us, and it's what brings him the most glory. But it comes back to that same question that the lady who had been caught in adultery and all these people were there ready to kill her, the same question that she had to answer. Do I trust God? Do I believe that he is good? and that his plan is best. Do you believe that God is good and that his plan is best? Let's let's put it into real areas. Do you and I believe that God's plan, his way, his path for our finances is best? Or do we trust ourselves? Do we believe that God's plan for our sexuality is best? Or do we trust ourselves? In our, in our society, pornography is, is a huge, it, it just, it touches almost every home. And the reason pornography is such a big thing is because people do not trust that God's plan for sexuality is best. And so they say, because I don't trust you, God, because I don't trust that you're good and that you can make me happy in this area and that you can fulfill me in this area, I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to do my own thing because I trust me more than I trust you. Do we trust that his plan is best for our future, for our relationships? The question is, who do we trust? Because the person we trust will determine the path we follow. And this lady, as she's looking at Jesus, has to make this decision. Do I trust Jesus? And if so, I'm going to follow his path. Or do I trust myself? Do I trust what makes me happy, my desires, my plans? And am I going to follow that? Sometimes we find it easier to trust God for our eternity than we do for our life. Like, I can, I can trust God that, hey, when this whole thing's over, then I'm going to spend eternity with you in this place called heaven. Oh, I, I've got, God, you've got eternity. 
But you don't quite understand the 70, 80 years that I'm here on earth. I mean, you can handle all of eternity, but you don't quite have it together as it relates to life. And so you take care of eternity, God, and I'll figure out this life thing, and I'll figure out a better plan than maybe what you have. And it's kind of comical when you put it in those words, because it's like, man, if God could handle eternity, I think he can handle the 70, 80, 90 years that I'm on earth. And I think he can probably lay out a plan that might be a little bit better than my little brain can come up for my own life. And so as we close, it really comes down to that question. Who do you trust? Do you trust God? Or you, do you trust yourself? And not don't give the Sunday school answer, oh yeah, of course I trust God. Now be honest. Like last week, did you trust God or did you trust yourself, your path, your desires, what made you happy above what God wanted? See, if you find yourself struggling like most people, like I do sometimes to trust God, then I'd encourage you to be honest with God. Because you're not going to tell God anything he doesn't already know, but there's power in being transparent and saying, God, I struggle to trust you. And so if, if you're like me and you're like most people that I know who desire to follow Jesus, but yet still sometimes struggle to trust that God's plan is best, would you this week... Be willing to pray an honest prayer to God? Would you this week be willing to pray a very honest prayer to God and maybe do it every day this week? And here's the prayer. And I would encourage you to be specific with this prayer. Don't be general with it, but be specific. God, sometimes I struggle to trust you even though I know your way is best. Help me this week to trust you and follow your good path for my life. Would you be willing to pray that to God this week? Would you be willing to, God, sometimes I struggle to trust you and, and tell him the areas that you struggle in. And then ask him, help me this week to trust you and follow your good path for my life. Would you do that? I think if you will, if you'll be honest with God and understand that his plan for you is better than your plan for you, and that, man, he loves you too much to give you what will make you momentarily happy, I think if we're honest with God this week, it can literally change our perspective and it can change our week. And I'd encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are someone that we can trust. You are someone that we can lean on. You are someone that we know loves us in a greater way than we can even imagine. You are someone who is good. You are someone who is all-knowing, all-loving. And God, I pray that this week, people that are watching this from all over our country, all different ages, Lord, would lean into you and be honest with you and say, God, man, I, tr I trust you, but sometimes I struggle too. And Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts and that this week our trust in you would grow. In Jesus' name, amen.